Please, don't be alarmed. We're not going to harm anyone. We're mutants. We're not what you think. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain? They have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. There are forces in this world who believe that a war is coming. We're here to stay. The next move is yours. We'll be watching. Hang on to something. Welcome to Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective Series. Welcome to Mutant High. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. You talk pretty tough for a guy in a cape. Hosted by Jacob. What if I just want to go home? Stuart. You're not my type. I'm everybody's type. And Arnie. All of you are dangerous. That's why you're here. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review. Who will you stand with, the humans or us? These reviews will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Ooh, scary. Listener discretion is advised. Let's do this. Today, I can hardly believe I'm saying it. I can't believe it's finally here. Today, we're discussing the new mutants. <laughs> now, don't make them feel shy. They're just going to hang in the back for a while. We'll warm up to it. <laughs> Starring Maisie Williams, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Heaton, Alice Braga, Blue Hunt, Henry Zaga. Directed by Josh Boone. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and I promise you, I'm real. And Stuart. Hello, governors. This is your co-host from across the pond. Just just kidding, y'all. I know I fooled you with my English accent. I'm really from the South. No, no. Just kidding, guys. This is this is Jacob. I got to go park the car in the car park because I'm from, you know, go Pats. I'm from Boston. How do you like them apples? You're hired. I, I got to say, like this movie, I am full of accents and they're all bad. <laughs> Woo. Welcome back to X-Men, which again, despite some mishandling by Fox, has remained one of my favorite branches of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I guess it doesn't really get the full title of that, but First Class, still one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. And we've come a lot of movies since then. They really tried to franchise out with Deadpool, Logan, and now New Mutants. They've really struggled to go without Hugh Jackman. Like, First Class is so good, but, like, audiences didn't go with that. And they really just... Yeah, Deadpool's just not my guy. I don't know what to say. I know that some people will tell me, that well, that's where the future lies. But it's not Apocalypse. It's not Dark Phoenix. If somebody has the great idea of rebooting it with new characters for a new generation and bringing in new genre elements like horror films... Great. Do that. Do anything to spice up a franchise that desperately needs a makeover. And so Josh Boone is who you go to. The guy who did The Fault in Our Stars. The teen romance film? He must have horror cred. He's also doing CBS's new adaptation of The Stand later this year. Yep. And you know what? I saw Fault in Our Stars and I thought it was a very sweet film. I was surprised at how well it worked. It's not the kind of thing I normally go for, but I thought all the performances were great. I thought he had a real gift for telling dramatic young people stories, and I thought he was an excellent, unusual choice for an X-Men movie. They were going with someone that knew young people, not someone that knew action or big special effects. And he approached Fox. 
He was pitching them. He really wanted to do New Mutants, and he wanted to make it a hardcore horror film, maybe rated R, and he had it as a trilogy of films. He actually took old comic book panels, and he and his childhood friend, Nate Lee, who also co-wrote this, went to Fox and was like, we want to do the New Mutants, we want to do these three films, here's what we want to do. So this was a comic book. This wasn't them coming up with new characters on their own. I thought this was an original concept, but you're saying there were comic book panels. Oh, there was a lot of comic books by new, with New Mutants. It was its whole offshoot with the X-Men. It's where Deadpool comes from, actually. Deadpool premiered in, like, issue 98 or something of the New Mutants. Huh. Okay. Yeah, and there is a demon bear storyline. It's three issues long. Wow. But it exists. Okay, so they're honoring something I knew nothing about. What I kept hearing was, we want to do Nightmare on Elm Street 3 with mutants. And I was like, that sounds great. Do that. But they're adapting a comic book from, what, 40 years ago or something? Early 80s. Okay. And it was not a horror comic. It was an X-Men comic. Like all other X-Men comics, some action, mostly soap opera. I got to give it to Chris Claremont, because that guy... Must have been a workaholic because he was writing X-Men in the 80s and it was became like the best-selling comic. And they said, okay, well, we're going to do a Wolverine spinoff comic. And he goes, well, I don't want anyone else writing Wolverine, so I'm going to write that. And then they said, well, we need now a team of young mutants. And Claremont's like, I don't want to do that. Okay, we'll have this guy do it. No, nobody else is writing mutants. I'm writing mutants. <laughs> he like wrote six comics or something at a time coming out every month. And he wrote a lot. There's a lot of words in his panels. Oh my god, I read I read about 15 issues of New Mutants, plus the graphic novel where they premiered. They were doing original graphic novels back then, not just collected comics. And they took a long time to read. I could read through 15 Brian Michael Bendis comics in an hour. Each one of these comics took like 40 minutes. Yeah, you know what else Chris Claremont loves to do? Write in dialects. <laughs> like, you know if that character's Scottish or, or from the South or Gambit from Louisiana. Mon cher. <laughs> Yeah, it was, there was a lot of that going on, too. But yes, this all came from the comics. I knew most of these characters. I have action figures of most of these characters' comic book incarnations. I was interested to learn more about them because I'd read about them in crossovers and things, but I'd never really gotten into New Mutants. I liked them much better once they changed their name to X-Force and Cable joined the squad. Is it still around? Like, did this last? Oh, yeah, it comes and goes. I think they're on volume three or four right now. Of course, if there's a movie out, there's probably a series that's supporting it. The big thing is it did change to X-Force, which we saw in Deadpool 2. X-Force was a huge comic, like one of the best-selling comics of all time. Yeah. And it was the New Mutants being like, screw Xavier, we're going to go off and be like a hit squad. And had crazy art and crazier storylines and was a massive, massive success, including Deadpool. But yeah, Wolvesbane here, as we're going to call her, Rain, and Cable, who was Josh Brolin in Deadpool 2, and Warpath, who might have shown up in Days of Future Past, I think he did, those were the stars of X-Force. But you did have this United Nation of characters in that original New Mutants graphic novel. You you had Rain from Scotland, and you had Moonstar, the Native American, you even had a Vietnamese X-Men mutant in there. But no Russian. She didn't come along until later. No, she came much later. Magic. 
Oh, well, she could just stay wherever she's from. <laughs> My God. I don't know where she's from. I guess we'll discuss it. She's Colossus's little sister. She was in early issues of Claremont's X-Men as a non-mutant. Colossus's little sister back in Mother Russia. That's about as good as your accents there, Jacob. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she became a mutant of her own and actually has had... A lot of storylines. She's also a magician. She has recently studied with Doctor Strange. I don't understand her powers. Yeah, is she magic or is she a mutant? Yes. She could go to, it's not hell, I guess. It's just a another portal that exists? Correct. I mean, these characters, nobody's really defined them. I was reading about Danny Moonstar's powers, and like, she became a Valkyrie riding a white horse with Tessa Thompson in the comics, and... Yeah, of course. <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah and one i like one's just a werewolf like that's a mutant power now just being a werewolf well, i mean again i take that to mean that we need somebody to do the wolverine thing so that, that was their attempt at that character Oof. i don't really think that's what that was going for but okay <laughs> well we'll have to talk about what they're going for but just to wrap it up here with the comic yay or nay on this you guys think it's good I don't know about all of the New Mutant stuff. I read the original stuff, and I... Look, that Demon Bear storyline, it does have art by Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh, yeah, I actually really loved his stuff, and Josh Boone liked him so much. When you watch the end credits of New Mutants, all of that art is new stuff by him for this movie. I love his stuff. He, he's really outside the box. He, he's doing a style that you would think more with, like, 90s vertigo. But outside of art appreciation, nah, you could skip it. Okay. My feeling is very meh on it in that, like, it had some stuff going for it, but it seemed like the coolest stuff was going on in the main X-Men comic. But, you know, it's just, it's all part of this Claremont-verse, and I like the Claremont-verse, but each specific issue of this one and the characters in it, it was okay. Again, I've only read 15 issues. I mean, I guess that should be enough. If I was buying these monthly after 15, I'd probably know whether I was buying number 16 or quitting, but it's okay. And the deeper you want to get into what's really the X-Men's golden era, the Claremont years, the deeper you want to get, the more you're going to like it. Okay. So it wasn't something that was so popular, they couldn't ignore it. The fact that it became part of the movie universe is because Fox, which was still owning the X-Men at this time that they started this process, was thinking about how to make superhero movies that Disney and MCU wouldn't make. Yeah, there there are a ton of X-Men spinoffs that they could have chosen from. I mean, I think the goal was we need some new X-Men, some new mutants, as the title would tell us. And yeah, this would be one option. There's Ecstatic, there's yeah X-Force, like you talked about, Arnie. I mean, there's a lot of choices I, i'm guessing they went with this one because it, it's a younger group you know when we got that original x-men in the 90s they were all adults by that time yeah and again josh boone wanted to make this one i mean you've got x factor x caliber you could even go alpha flight if you wanted to go canadian and... <laughs> yeah the blockbuster canadian <laughs> mutant team there's so many you could choose from but i think it's because josh boone was a big chris claremont x-men fan and came in and was pitching what he called a really dark, interesting, and different from typical X-Men stories film. And 
Simon Kinberg, who's like one of the big producers over all the X-Men films, liked it. In 2015, over five years ago, May 2015, they finalized a deal for Boone to do the New Mutants from his script and the script he did with his friend. And the intent was, you know, this sounds like a great idea. Let's tie it into X-Men Apocalypse. We're going to have James McAvoy show up. Is that the one that had the post credit scene with the Essex Corporation? They pop up here. I know we've seen like a briefcase or something before. Yep, that was the end of that one where, remember we had Weapon X there, and he was running around, and for reasons. Ew, yeah. (laughs) And at the very end, in the end credits, we saw the Essex Corporation logo. Well, that's because this was going to take place in the 80s, three years after the events of X-Men Apocalypse, and yes, McAvoy, Alexandra Shipp, who had played Storm, if you remembered that, were going to both show up here and they were talking about bringing Colossus in because of being Ileana's brother and really having this tied into the X-Men universe while being its own offshoot. Okay, so why are there six people in this entire cast? Why does this feel like the saddest, smallest superhero movie <laughs> I've ever seen? It had a budget of $70 million. I mean, it's twice the size of the cast of Glass. <laughs> they take place in, like, in, the, in the same hospital, I think. <laughs> Actually, this hospital, we visited it before. It's Shutter Island. The same hospital where they filmed Shutter Island is this one. <laughs> well, Boone, I feel bad for him because he had the script that he did with his friend. And then after Apocalypse failed... He had to rewrite it to set it in modern day rather than the 80s and remove Professor X and remove Storm. Yeah, because there's nothing about this film that tells me this could have been in the 80s, this film. Like, it's so sparse. And then Fox took his script and put it into a writer's room that had 10 people in it, all hired to, quote, tear the script apart and put it back together. No. How bad was his script? Or is this just studio overreaching and not trusting him? I'm taking this as studio overreach because Boone says his full horror script that he wanted to make, Fox was resistant to, and what came out of this writer's room was a compromised version without excessive blood, excessive scares, and make it far more young adult focused. Yeah, about three minutes of horror. All right, that's good to know that at some point somebody thought that, yes, this horror movie they were pitching was going to be, yeah, scary. Because what we're left with, I mean... Again, this thing had five release dates. I eventually put it on our site that we were reviewing it in 2099 because I didn't know if it would come out before then. And what happened was it came out. And because of it, someone at Fox made the first New Mutants trailer to focus on being scary, selling it like the straight up horror Boone originally had. And the trailer was so successful, Fox is like, all right, we're going to go back to Boone's original script. We're going to refilm half the movie. Did these reshoots ever take place? I heard that they did, and then I heard that this film took so long to come out, like by the time they got to the reshoots, the actors just looked too old and couldn't match the old footage that they had. Like, were there actually reshoots with this? Everything you just said is correct. (laughs) They wanted to do reshoots. All of these people are TV stars. It was virtually impossible to schedule them to come back for anything more than pickups. So they kept trying to get it on the schedule, and then Fox started its sale process to Disney. Everything stopped. And then once Disney bought it, they're like, 
Okay, let's look at reshoots. And the cast had changed drastically because they were teenagers. I mean, this thing filmed in 2017. And so in late 2019, you're looking at a bunch of teenagers or even actors who changed their appearance for roles. And it's like, okay, this isn't going to happen. And Marvel had very little confidence in the film, despite positive test screenings. At one point early this year, Disney put out a press release calling this film, quote, a new addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And everybody's like, wait, so this is MCU? And then Disney was like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. It's just a Marvel movie. It's not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, when the Marvel logo comes up in this film, it says, in association with Marvel. There seems to be a holding it at bay. They don't quite want to bring it uh, into the bosom. That's the exact logo every X-Men movie has had. All the non-MCU Spider-Man movies had. Venom had it. If it's not MCU, that's what you get. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And and so they ended up filming a movie that Boone says, this is my director's cut of the movie. This is the movie I shot. Maybe not the script I wrote, but the movie I shot. The movie I edited. The movie I delivered. There were no reshoots. None of that ever happened. And we'll talk about at the end some of the ideas of where they wanted this movie to go in future sequels. But yeah, it was supposed to be out in April 2018, then when they were reshooting half of it, February 2019, but then they're like, wait, that could hurt Deadpool 2, so August 2019? Yeah, people are going to choose this over Deadpool. Wait, Dark Phoenix is coming out. Let's move it again. April 2020. Oh, crap, Disney (laughs) bought us. Um, Yeah, I kept speculating that this was just going to come out VOD, like Disney just shit it out, it's a tax write-off, and you're like, no, no, Fox got it in their contract that this has to have a theatrical release. I feel like that must have been like the prank that Fox was pulling on Disney. You could buy us, but you got to actually put this out in theaters at some point. Every movie that Fox had in development was in that contract under that umbrella. Any movie Fox did for theatrical release had to have theatrical release. More, Fox had a contract with HBO that all Fox movies would go to HBO for a period before any other television service So even if they wanted to put this direct to streaming, it would be on Warner Brothers HBO Max, not on Disney+. Plus. So when this actually does hit television, you'll need that WB subscription for HBO Max to see it for a long time. And despite all of this, I would hear about this movie like everyone. It was a running joke about its moving release date and the feeling that, like, oh, it's a picture that's in trouble. I never actually believed it was a problem with the film itself, but with all of the people surrounding it. I believe that Disney didn't understand or didn't want to promote a hard R horror X-Men movie. I thought that Fox, yeah, didn't understand how to put out a different kind of X-Men movie. I deeply believed that Josh Boone had made a really good tearjerker and would at the very least be able to get a dramatic story about young people onto the screen. It was a dramatic process to get a story about young people onto the screen. (laughs) Right. It was dramatic to go. I mean, I ended up going to a drive-in movie theater. That was how I saw this film. It was playing at the local IMAX, but I felt like kind of had a drive-in movie feel, and I hadn't been in decades, so I took my notepad. It made it easier to take notes. You could you could actually have your lights on and write, see what you're writing. So that part was good. Yeah, I did a two-hour round trip to find 
to go to a drive-in that was playing this. It was a double feature. I could have stayed, I guess, instead of driving two hours for a 90-minute film. I could have stayed and watched Iron Man again. But look, I got a car. The AC's broken. It's 115 this Labor Day weekend. So yeah, I, I had the windows down. I didn't have the car running. I had a portable FM radio I dug out. So that Dolby 8. 1,800 speakers all around you. I uh, didn't have that experience. Like, maybe that's why I think every accent here is bad because of that sweet FM fidelity. And to clarify, Jacob, you had no choice. In LA, that's the only theater you have. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I, people are saying, oh, why aren't you doing Tenet? Uh, because there's no theater between San Diego, which is the very bottom of the state, and like way past San Francisco, the northern part of the state by Oregon, which I don't even know if they have movie theaters up there. It's very rural. Those are the only places that are like in the color code where they could start opening theaters. There's no theater to see Tenet in, and I guess that means they wouldn't even let him show it at the drive-in, which I'm kind of glad. I I don't know if I'd want to sit through that at a drive-in. It wasn't the best experience. Well, thanks to COVID, I haven't been to the movies since... I was there the weekend it closed. I saw The Hunt, so it's been a long time. <laughs> Better than Fantasy Island. That was the last movie I had Ooh, seen. You lose, Stuart. You lose bad. <laughs> I did. It was really terrible. Stuart left that theater so disgusted, they closed him for six months. <laughs> yeah. And our theaters here in town only would reopen when there were new movies. So the day the theater opened, the first movie being shown in the town since March was New Mutants on IMAX, reserve seating, socially distanced. I was still a little bit nervous because of recirculated air and AMC's policy of you must wear a mask unless you pay us for concessions. Yeah, because then you're, you're chomping the whole time and spitting. And I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm not down with that. That's not cool. No, I'm not a fan of that. And of course, Nobody put their mask back on after they were done with their popcorn, Mm -mm. so there were a lot of unmasked people, which did distract me a bit during the movie, but I wanted to be back when theaters opened. My health be damned, my asthma putting me at risk be damned, I went to theaters, I wore my mask, I sat in the back row so nobody could spin on me from behind. That was my concession there, as compared to everybody else's concessions that let them not wear masks. (laughs) But um. And I got to see this on IMAX. Admittedly, it was IMAX drawing me in. I probably could have waited on New Mutants because I'd seen the first two minutes of this film. I watched the San Diego Comic-Con at home panel and I kept waiting for them to announce a real release date. I never thought it would hold to this August release date. It had been moved so many times. Yeah, there were rumors that it was going to get released VOD that day, right after the panel. You spread those rumors, actually, Arnie. And I remember you being livid that they were just that, rumors. <laughs> yes, we had adjusted our schedule just in case. We all had in contact so we could, like, get on the mic together that weekend of New Mutants dropped VOD, but this went to IMAX. Not that any of it was shot in IMAX or had IMAX sound, but there was just nothing else to put on the screen. So for four days, New Mutants ruled the IMAX, and that was enough to get me to go. But that was a week before we recorded this. I did go back and see this exactly one week later. Tenet had the IMAX, so I was at a regular screening. The first screening I went to had about 22 people in it. That made the theater about two-thirds filled because of social distancing. They couldn't have fit more than 30 people in there. At the second screening, there were three of us. 
yesterday. <laughs> yeah, what is the box office like? I haven't even like thought about like that. I guess they're collecting money. Is this a hit? Did it meet the expectations? Did it open well? What is a hit these days? I mean, I think it made seven million its first week, which I don't know if that's good or bad. That would be awful. Before that's a bomb. Before the pandemic, this was tracking at twenty million in the U.S. And now they were like, we're going to be happy if it's five to 10 opening weekend. It made about seven the first week and is as of this recording before its second full weekend sitting at 11 million global on a 67 million budget. Okay. So there won't be more new mutants. There never were going to be. This thing could make a billion. And Marvel still wants to take the mutants into the MCU with their characters. Right. Hugh Jackman's done. If Hugh's not coming back, it's time for Marvel Cinematic Universe to reboot this like it's Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> You're being generous. <laughs> but maybe we should just get into this movie. Blue Hunt plays Native American Danny Moonstar, a teenage girl who wakes up handcuffed to a hospital bed. The staff physician and janitor and orderly and security guard. <laughs> the only staff. <laughs> Does she make the hot dogs? I mean, she administers all the shots. I mean, this lady is tired. <laughs> Dr. Cecilia Reyes, played by Alice Braga, tells Danny that the teen is the only survivor from a tornado that hit her reservation. She's now in the hospital because she's a mutant and they need to study her powers, but no one knows what they are. In the hospital are four other mutants. All with accents. <laughs> <laughs> Roberto da Costa, or Sunspot in the comics, played by Henry Zaga, is a Brazilian teen who can produce heat. Charlie Heaton plays Sam Guthrie, known as Cannonball in the comics, someone who can fly really fast. Maisie Williams plays Scottish Rain Sinclair, known as Wolvesbane in the comics. She's a werewolf. I was really confused by this part, just to say. <laughs> Finally, Anya Taylor-Joy plays Russian Ileana Rasputin. Yeah, I have no idea what her powers are. All of them? <laughs> to make me laugh every time she shows up. Known as magic in the comics. Her powers are complicated, Oof. but in the movie, she could teleport, open a portal to an imaginary hell dimension called Limbo, turn her arm into steel, generate a glowing blue sword, and I think her sarcastic biting wit could also be a bit of a superpower. <laughs> She's also racist. <laughs> That's apparently also her superpower. Yes. Super she racist. Sure she takes her biting insults from Trump, calling the Native American Pocahontas. Yeah, exactly. All these teens are trapped in the hospital by force fields generated by Reyes. But each of the teens starts getting haunted by nightmares and get injured. Soon, Reyes discovers the source of these nightmares is Danny. Her mutant power is to bring anyone's worst fear to life. Like a Fox exec thinking this movie's getting released. <laughs> That's the kind of thing she produces. Reyes's bosses at the Essex Corporation tell her to kill Danny because Danny is too dangerous. But Danny and Rain have developed a romantic relationship, and Rain discovers Reyes killing Danny, so Rain wolfs out and claws up the shady doctor. Then comes Danny's biggest fear the demon bear. <laughs> but it's not from the hell portal limbo. <laughs> it's from a myth her father told her as a child, and it turns out Danny's imaginary bear, not a tornado, is what killed everyone on her reservation. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. This is so sad. No, 
It is so sad. It is very sad. It is sad. And frightening. Scary. Danny is knocked out, but the other four fight off the bear for as long as they can. But the bear does eat Dr. Reyes. Finally, Danny wakes up and is able to take control of her powers. She tells the bear to calm down, and it does. <laughs> oh, that's it. The end. <laughs> Done. You drop the mic. And then the bear turns to smoke. <laughs> is he smoking the bear? Like, only you can cancel this film. Free, the five teens leave the hospital, uncertain where the nearest town is. As credits roll. (laughs) And no post-credit scene to talk about. Well, there is a post-credit scene to talk about, but it's not on the movie. (laughs) But as credits start, this is not a Fox movie. There is no Fox. 20th Century Studios. But they kept the fanfare. It was nice to see they still use the drum roll and the Klieg lights, and they still want you to think that it's fucked. Disney doesn't want to be associated with this. Correct. (laughs) And boy, just like instantly, right? Like, can't you just feel like your palms palpitate and like a lump in your throat when you're hearing like this voiceover snow is coming down and like we're born with two bears within us? Okay, I mentioned I saw the Comic-Con at home panel. They showed the first two minutes of this movie. Oh my God. (laughs) I didn't want to see any more. That was it. Yes. I didn't want to see this in theaters. It was like, two bears? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's actually only one bear. We actually never see the good bear. Yeah, there's only one that gets bigger as you are scared more. Like, so only the evil bear grows. There is no good bear. (laughs) There's no good bear here. It's just, we want to put that out right away. If you're hoping to see a good anything, that bear ain't here. I thought we'd get bear on bear action. Nope. That bear is in hibernation. (laughs) Yeah, I know why they showed this opening. It's because this is the most action-oriented thing in the film other than perhaps the climax. Yeah, you you get this and then you got to wait about 80 minutes until you get some more action at the end. It's awful. You've got cars exploding. You've got people running. You've got Danny's father hiding her in a nook of a tree as he has to go back to try to save people. I mean... I see why you'd think you'd convince people this is a superhero film, kind of, from this opening. Here's my question with this opening, because none of us bought that this was a tornado, right? Like, nothing looks like a tornado is attacking this reservation. But do we ever find out what set Danny off to release the evil bear, this demon bear, to attack the reservation? Like, I, I'm She's a- afraid of the dark. That's what she said. That's all it was. That was it. No, that's when she was a little girl, she was afraid of the dark, and that's when her dad told her about the bear. Well, yeah, but it grew somehow, because she kept getting afraid. According to the myth, everybody's bear grows bigger as you learn to fear more things. I feel like children are more frightened than adults, depending on what their experience is. It really depends on the child. As a kid, I was afraid of ghosts under my bed. Yeah. I was afraid of demons, and I was afraid of the dark. As an adult, I'm afraid of COVID. I'm afraid of cancer. I'm afraid of death. I do think I'm more afraid as an adult than I was as a kid. Well, that might be this particular moment in history, but I hear what you're saying. Different fears. Yeah, so this is my question, because we're told different things throughout the film. You know, Danny's going to wake up in this hospital. She's told when you start going through puberty, your powers can manifest. And, you know, when you're young, you're you're like a rattlesnake. You got you can't control that venom, so you're even more dangerous. Like A baby rattlesnake. Just to clarify that metaphor, baby rattlesnakes are more dangerous than adult men. Yes, the young are more dangerous than the old. Because they can't control their power. 
Was this just like she had her first period and the bear came out? You got to have some reason that the bear came out. It can't just be an accident because, oh, my powers manifested themselves. Usually it is under a stressful circumstance that a teen mutant develops their power for the first time in the stories. But here, this might not even be the first time. This might be the worst time. We're not really sure, but... I think she knows kind of what happened. She knows it's not a tornado. She doesn't believe Dr. Reyes when Reyes says it was a tornado. Can I just ask, how did she get to the hospital? It makes it seem like the hospital is next door to the Indian (laughs) reservation. She just runs through the trees, hits a fence, and she's there. Yeah, it's not explained, but what you have to kind of go with is that Reyes refers to her superiors. Guys, it's it's Professor X, right? Don't, didn't you think that's where he was going? They really tricked us. <laughs> yeah, they actually, specifically when discussing it, one of the teens puts his fingers to his head, like doing the Charles Xavier thing, and says, don't you know about the X-Men? So you're supposed to think that before you're an X-Men, you're a prisoner in a hospital. Yeah, I, I believe Charles Xavier is going to lock me up in some dank <laughs> hospital with one orderly and, like, beat lessons of obedience into my head so I could become, like, Wolverine. I don't buy any of that. That's not how good guys work. What we're going to find out later on is the Essex Corporation is doing this. So what you have to write in is the Essex Corporation, like the X-Men, are tracking young mutants and trying to find the best murderers and bringing them here. Well, the whole thing with the Essex Corporation, at least in the comics, is that they would steal mutants' DNAs and make their own. That was going to be the whole tie into Logan. It was supposed to be the Essex Corporation that made that Wolverine clone, and they gave it some different name, I believe. But I get that it's evil. They just never fooled me. I always think it's an evil corporation that has kidnapped these kids. And isn't that a terrible, terrible mistake? Shouldn't we be under the presumption that she is wound up at Professor X's school? You want to believe that this is literally a place where she can get her power under control and then find out a conspiracy later on. We need to trust Reyes before they turn her evil. Never trust her. Yeah, no, it's so obvious. I mean, and again, there's no one else in this cast. Didn't you tell me that John Hamm and Antonio Banderas and all were in this movie? (laughs) They were? I missed them. Well, yeah, I was led to believe their roles were bigger than they are. What roles do they have? I never saw them. Do they do a voice? They were the tree that <laughs> fell over when the bear came. I mean, I know Marilyn Manson does a voice for the smiley man, but... Yeah, he's probably the biggest star in the film, to be honest. <laughs> Marilyn Manson? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yes, we do not see them. And this is something that hit me hard watching the film the first time, is where are the extras? I mean, this film cost $67 million, and yes, the last poster they released looked like a direct ripoff of the Dream Warriors poster. So I come in thinking Dream Warriors, and I'm like, where's the young Larry Fishburne? Obviously, we have the mean doctor filled in, but where's our Nancy? Where's our Larry? Where's our Neil? Where are the other people in this hospital? Where's the cook? There's got to be something criminal going on with the finance of this. I mean, they couldn't even do a spell check for Bob McLeod, (laughs) the co-creator of the New Mutants. They misspelled his name in the credits. Like, this looks cheap. This feels like it's a streaming show where they don't have much of a budget. Like, put this on CBS All Access or something. And I don't know if you guys watch Legion, which... I watched some of it, yeah. Yeah, I watched a few episodes. It looked way better than this. Like, and it's going for that same vibe, like being in an insane asylum or something like that. It just, this feels cheap. It does. And 
for those who don't know, Legion is an X-Men TV show that was done by Fox. It's based on one of the X-Men characters. I think it's Xavier's son in the comics, Legion. And I can't fault the set. I mean, it's a real hospital. I think it looks good. But there's no one around. Yeah, they should have some people. I'm sorry, if I wake up in a hospital, under any circumstance that this person says, I'm your doctor... And there's nobody else around, no nurses, nobody. I'm going to have questions here. (laughs) It makes no sense. And later, let's just get to this because I really don't understand this. She keeps pressing Danny. First, she tells Danny it was a tornado. And I just want to add the fact that, like, if my parents and everyone I know got killed by a tornado, like, now is not the time to come at me. You're also a mutant. Like, separate (laughs) conversation. We can talk about that in six months. But, like, I need to bury people right now. But okay, they're going to adopt her into this world. Again, are they accusing her that she killed her parents or her father? I, They don't make that direct line. That would be one thing if they said, you are responsible because of your ex-power. But she says tornado. Well, she doesn't want Danny to know, but that's why they brought her in. Is They're like, crap, this mutant just killed an entire town. She'd be really useful as an assassin. Bring her in. So... Reyes thinks Danny did it, but Reyes doesn't know how Danny did it. She doesn't know that Danny can manifest a giant bear to kill people. No one knows what her power is. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of scanning of Danny while she's sleeping. Psionic levels are being measured. But eventually we're going to see her have this flash back or vision of a bunch of mutants imprisoned with lots of guards and lots of extras you mean that footage from logan what is that what that was i had a flashback to twin peaks the return with audrey where like all of a sudden she's in in the side like like i'm like oh wait is she actually like in some bigger institution and they've like clouded their minds or something like what is going on with this vision she's having I saw that kid in this vision. It's just a flash, and it's in black and white. But you see a little kid throwing some, like, Taibo dummies around. You know, like, they have a chest and a head for you to punch, but no legs. And I'm like, that was from Logan. So I pulled it up on iTunes, and yes, they took... Remember when Logan is watching the video on the phone explaining where the little girl came from and the research facility where she got all her powers no but it's fine you're telling me that that this is just out and out we're going to grow grab footage someone shot for an entirely different purpose in a different movie and and stick it here and that's going to be her vision i think they're trying to tie it together see i can't decide at one point logan was going to tie into the essex corporation it was going to be mr sinister who was involved with mr sinister in the comics is nathaniel essex who is the head of the Essex Corporation. We kind of mentioned that, I think, at the end of Apocalypse. And so he was going to be the head of the institution creating the clone of Wolverine and everything in Logan. But James Mangold basically said, go F yourself, Fox. If you want me to make the movie, I'm making the movie. We're not going to have Mr. Sinister in here. You forced me to put the Silver Samurai in the last one and look what happened. So that tie that they intended never came through now is this saying that was the essex corporation and we just didn't find out or is this hey we have footage of mutants throwing stuff around and guards beating them up let's just use it i won't ever know 
I take it to mean that at one point this facility was filled with mutants that got killed or something done bad to them or they're a, a giant team of at one point it was populated. Well, that's what I thought. But on my second watching, I caught it. Danny says to Rain, I had this vision. I think that's the place we go when we leave here. Yeah. So it's reading Reyes's mind because I guess Reyes isn't there 24-7. She also goes to this other place. <laughs> <laughs> she works hard for the money. <laughs> that is a vision of where they would go after here. So once they learn to control their powers here, they'd go there and learn how to kill. All right. No, they call out that they go somewhere else after this. So why are they unruly at the next place? They're teaching them about obedience here. Like, they should be good little soldiers when they get to the next school. Yeah. I never believed it was Xavier, but then again, I kind of knew this was going to be a horror movie, right? And I also knew that there was no way either Patrick Stewart or James McAvoy was going to show James McAvoy was going to show up here. Or a lighting guy. <laughs> yeah, I think Dr. Reyes is doing all that. She's shooting the film, yeah, gaffing, catering, sound mix. Can I just say, we reviewed Clerks last Friday, and it had more people in it. Yes. It was done for $27,000. But here's the thing. Again, I'm taking it as filmed by the guy that did Fault in Our Stars. So I'm not trying to tie it to any other X-Men movie. What I'm counting on is he is going to be really good at showing us young people problems and giving us maybe a breakfast club scenario once we see this therapy team. Yeah, we go to a group therapy, and I haven't seen A Fault in Our Stars, but I did think Breakfast Club, and I thought, okay, so we're not going to have action for any of this film until the last 15 minutes, but we're going to have really good like teen drama, right? Yeah. Like, really sharp dialogue. What does it mean to be a teen mute? We could deconstruct the idea of superheroes and, and talk about teen issues. Nope. That's all missing. None of that's here. I think some of it is here. And it, I mean, they drug the teacher and, and hooked themselves up to a lie detector. I guess <laughs> that's as close as we get. Well, that's what reminded me of John Hughes. But here we're 10 minutes into the movie when the group therapy session starts. And I'm not thinking John Hughes. I'm again thinking Nightmare on Elm Street because so many of those scenes took place in a psychiatric ward in a room with a bunch of chairs pulled in a circle with the mean doctor saying, let's have group. And so here, I think that's where we're at. And Reyes is not, I, I don't know, she may serve them scrambled eggs for breakfast and, and scrub the toilets <laughs> and give them injections. She is not a psychiatrist. Like this group session, all I learned, I guess I learned all the characters' names, but all I learned is that Rain was accused of being a witch. How long has this group therapy been going on? Because they don't seem very close, like no one wants to talk. Those scenes are all so short in this. Do you think that there's a lot of it in it? Either the, the editor just said, cut it, we want this thing to move. Is there human drama that is gone or is this stuff that Boone just didn't get in the screen and the editor wisely just said, well, then trash all of this. We don't need the therapy. But it's so strange that we never have one good scene about them talking about their problems. I don't know if there's more of that. Keep in mind, this is a 90-minute movie. This is the shortest X-Men movie by a lot. Mm -hmm. Boone said there's at least 20 minutes of cut footage. It was comedic stuff. He was going for that John Hughes vibe. And in the editing room, he decided the comedy just didn't work with the horror vibe. And he chose to cut it 
We get three minutes of horror. Go for some comedy. Give me something. I thought he left in the comedy. We'll get there, but <laughs> shit. I mean, all these accents. Yeah, you know what? All right, these accents, I'm not laughing at any of them. I am cracking up. I had no idea, and I was howling. Like, every time a new accent was revealed, like, I'm like, oh, that's what they're going for here. Well, that's every character. Yeah, it was It was great. The Game of Thrones girl might, that might actually be her accent. I'll give her that one. That might be the one legit. No, she's British doing Scottish, but if she fooled you, it's a good accent. Yeah, I'm not going to knock on her, at least for that. I mean, her character... She's a werewolf. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was... Uh, I mean, even though we'll see her, we'll see a wolf running around. I thought that was Danny's animal. I thought that, like, she was, like, that was part of her powers that a wolf followed her around. I had no idea they're setting up this interspecies lesbian romance. And the character of Roberto is played by a Brazilian. That is not a fake accent. He is... People were complaining, though, because in the comics, he was a dark-skinned Brazilian. Yeah, he should be a, a black Brazilian, and they used a very light-skinned one. It created some controversy, I guess. Yeah, a little bit of them saying whitewashing. But they got a Brazilian actor to play a Brazilian character, so no fake accent there. So, And Danny Moonstar has no accent. Reyes' accent is natural, so four-sixths of this cast, you can't complain about the accent. But can we talk about Ileana and Sam? Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oof. Anya Taylor-Joy is my favorite part of this movie. I legit love her in this. I love her character, and I find her accent very fun. <sighs> she doesn't even ever apologize for being racist. I uh. You love this because it's so bad? Like, is that what you're like? No. It's taking me back to Generation X. <laughs> like, this is the kind of thing like Mondo, like bad. This is like, whole shit. <laughs> and again, Anna Taylor-Joy, I've seen her. We saw The Witch, very credible period accent. I watched the Jane Austen movie, Emma. She's very good in that as well. I have enjoyed her performances she's given, but this is like San Diego Comic-Con and my Sailor Moon costume got ruined in the wash (laughs) and I'm just going to wear it anyway. Like, this is bad. She got a sock puppet. What happened? Is it because she's hiding the sword in her arm? What the hell with the Lockheed? (laughs) I mean, I thought Lockheed was a Kitty Pride thing. I did not realize it originated. Did it originate with magic? I guess this is a dragon from that portal. The way it comes off in this movie is she's a girl that lived in her own imagination, and at some point it came real, and that was pretty cool when she put on the sock puppet. But then when Slender Man came, which they call Smiley Man, <laughs> but obviously stealing from Slender Man, it became a problem. All right, let's 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 go through these characters one by one. I want to get into their backstories and their problems. <laughs> Yeah, because they make us wait forever. And this is one of my problems with the film is that it's a lot of nothing. It's a lot of characters going, I don't want to talk about how I figured out about my powers. It's like 40 minutes of that before you find anything out. I'm like, what is the hook? Why am I watching this? What is making me stay here? Yeah, so let's get to these characters. Let's start with Ileana because I have have the most questions about her. We kind of discussed Danny and the bear. Mm -hmm. But Ileana... We're going to find out about her. She's obviously Russian. We get that from the slathered on accent. Also her last name. (laughs) Yes, Rasputin. And we mentioned her powers. We're not quite sure what they are. Yeah, because in the comics, she does like magic too. This is why I don't get into X-Men. They go to space. They do magic. They go to hell. I don't understand any of it. You have to have a PhD to be an X-Mentologist. What happened is she could jump portals into this limbo dimension. Which, here, she says she made up, 
Maybe in a sequel, she'd find out she didn't make it up. Yeah, do we ever find out, does Nightcrawler, is this what he goes through when he's transporting? No, I don't believe it is. Nightcrawler does have a smell of brimstone when he teleports, so maybe he does go to hell hell. But he's the one that has the whole god complex, and that would be cool, he had to go through hell every time, but okay, whatever. This isn't hell, it's limbo. It's So she imagined this place? In the movie, she says she created a safe place for her to go as a child when the men came. And the men, were, she said, were smiling, and we're going to see these tall guys with the smiley masks. Jack Skellington. Yeah, and I believe in the comic it was sex trafficking. She was like a, a sex slave. Okay, this is what I was wondering, is was she... She talks about men who kept people in cages. I wondered if she was molested or raped or, as a child... A pedophile ring or... Yeah, she makes a joke to Danny, tell the puppet where they touched you, and I think that's what they're going for, but they don't want to say that. Yeah, they've completely excised that. And so we're not going to actually explore that at all. A a child sexual abuse. Forgetting about exploring it. Yeah, all right. So that's what I was getting from it when they show her as a child, a young child, I'm talking like six, in a bed... And one of these men with the smiley masks over her, and that's her imagination, because what she said is they all wore the smile. And she created Limbo as a place for her to go in her head when these men came for her. So what I was taking it is she was being raped as a young child and created this Limbo space, and then as a mutant actually created this Limbo space. Yeah, but then she also has Colossus powers where metal comes around her arm, and she could produce a sword. In the comics, she could open the portals, but she got trapped in limbo for eight years. I think a writer might have forgotten about her. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But then in limbo, she learned magic and came back and then could cast spells and do the sword and all this other stuff. And eventually she turned into a, a demon with, like, hooves and things. Yeah, I know. So, like Rain, who's just a werewolf, she's a demon. Like, she's not a mutant. So, cast off two of these mutants. They're not actually new mutants. No, she's a mutant, but that would eventually, in limbo, become a demon. But what is her mutant power? The teleporting. The portals. If she created Limbo in her head before she had mutant powers, that's not a mutant power. When did her mutant powers manifest? We saw X-23 had them prepubescent. I mean... She was made in a lab. We've seen baby mutants before. Okay, but when you're telling me, when the movie is telling me, this is all about coming of age. When you're a teenager, you develop these powers. It gets muddy when you're saying, oh, well, she actually had them since she was six. Well, what I take it as is she created the safe space in her mind like yeah but it also ended up being real (laughs) yeah i think her mutant power eventually took her to her safe space and created a reality of it of the things she imagined as a child i'm guessing she had that little puppet as a child too and now her mutant powers allow her to turn the little puppet into a real dragon oh i thought the dragon lived in limbo and and that's how she would communicate to it through the puppet And Arnie, I think you're absolutely right that probably the writer's instinct was to go really dark and talk about sexual abuse. But the way that it's cut down here, that didn't even cross my mind. It was mostly like when I was a little girl, I was afraid of the monster in the closet. And now it's coming back for me all these years later. 
Yeah, and I thought the reason these people were faceless is because one face for many men, they all looked the same. Oh, no, I think you're absolutely right. And you have you have explained what the real horror was that she is so frightened of, but it's so icky and so not in keeping with this movie that they, I think, wisely got rid of that. But you ask what I like about her. I like her attitude. I like that she doesn't just immediately take to the new girl. I like that... She has this rebellious spirit. She is fun to watch. She is the bender of the class. I mean, she's the one that I guess has a personality out of everyone here. Again, everyone is just so blah and fades into all the darkness in this film. You're right. She does not. She stands out. She was always standing in front on all the posters. Maisie Williams is supposedly the star here because she was Arya Stark on Game of Thrones and... She's top build, but to me, this is Anya Taylor-Joy's movie, or Blue Hunt, but Maisie kind of falls in the background. But yeah, that's what I like about Ileana, is just her attitude. She's a bit of a mean girl, but she's damaged herself. She's got vulnerabilities. I love how she yells, run, new girl, run! Like, run, forest, run, when... Danny is making a run for it, not knowing there's the force field around the hospital. I think she is a fun character that I could have liked to see explored in other movies. Okay, I get that, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with it, but I understand what they were going for better now. And yeah, she has personality, which most of these characters, in fact... I think I can safely say all of the other characters don't have. Yes. And talking about another character, Rain, was she being sexually abused by this priest or was he just accusing her of being a witch? Because she's a lesbian. No, because she's a werewolf. What she says is she went to the priest because she changed into a wolf and she is a hard Catholic Scottish girl. And so wanting salvation, she went to a priest. The priest said, show me. So she turned into the wolf the priest beat her half to death, is what she says, and then branded her. And I, I like that from one direction, it looks like a W for wolf or witch, but if you turn it over, it's M for mutant. So I kind of like how that went for her. And so she would have died had she stayed in Scotland. She is the star pupil for Dr. Reyes because she's really happy to be someplace where they aren't out to kill her. But she is so Catholic, so indoctrinated into her religion, so devout that there's a chapel on campus and she's going to go and give confession in an empty confessional, even though the priest beat her half to death, because she still believes in God, believes in salvation, believes in sin. She masturbated twice after seeing Danny, so she has to go confess. I mean, we've seen this, though, in an X-Men film. This is Nightcrawler, who looks like the devil, but he's very religious. I think he's Catholic, too, and none of these characters are interesting. How many X-Men have we met? I mean, there's got to be 50, 60. At least two must be Catholic. It's like one of the world's leading religions. Yeah, but when you give them the same thing that, oh, I've been punished because I'm a mutant for either because they look a certain way or they turn into a weird, like, they get punished for that, but they're still going to believe in God. They're still, you know, even though they have this association with something devilish. That might be your issue. My issue is these stories are not coming across very well. What you just described, Arnie, like, I don't remember her turning into a wolf for the priest or any of that stuff. Was that dialogue? That is described, yes. Yeah, I, I, I don't feel like any of these stories connect. I mean, that's my... My problem is like all these kids couldn't be more bland and the performances are not good and I'm just not 
clicking with this group. And that's the greatest of disappointments from the director of Fallen Our Stars is that I don't like these kids in trouble. Like, that's his forte. See, I like Rain also. Not as much as Ileana, but Rain in her kind of mousy Scottish way. And she's the first one Danny sees at the hospital is because when Danny wakes up, Rain is in the vents above her, and you just kind of see the face and the glowing eyes because she's a werewolf. Oh, that's what that was. I I remember it. I'm like, was something in the vents there? And then I totally forgot about it. Okay, so it was Rain as a werewolf. Yeah, and Rain is a character we come to learn. I feel like it's dropped subtly, and if I hadn't watched the San Diego Comic-Con at home panel, I would have been shocked because the panel spoiled the Rain-Danny romance. But I wouldn't have seen that coming. But you see Rain in that vent looking at Danny. Why is she looking at Danny? And then she's going to save Danny from suicide. Again, talking about Catholicism. And we believe suicides go to hell. And promising her it will get better if she doesn't kill herself because Danny has survivor's guilt. Yeah, I don't buy this at all. I, I want to kill myself. Hey, it gets better, I promise. Oh, okay, I'll come down off the ledge then. Like, it resolves super easily. Again, that's what I want to stress. I don't care about the X-Men. Like, forget what... It's not an X-Men movie to me. It is a teen drama movie, and every scene with these... Every character going through their problems is this thudding on the ground. You don't find the romance between Rain and Danny refreshing? I thought it was kind of sweet. Refreshing? It was off. I would be ashamed to put that on CW. It was awful. <laughs> It's not it's not worthy of Riverdale. No no spark, not one moment of heat off of them. Cold, dead. Fire them. I saw them checking each other out in the shower. I did think it was strange to just have like a gym locker room shower at a hospital. No private rooms, no private showers, but the way they laid together when it was raining outside to look at the rain on the force field, they laid next to each other. Yeah, it's so telegraphed. I knew what was going to happen. I didn't know there was going to be this relationship, but I'm like, oh, they're laying down and they're going to turn and look at each other and kiss now, aren't they? Like, It's terrible. They ought to call this movie The Fault with Our Stars. They're terrible. <laughs> the, the thing is, it was telegraphed. The only thing they get to watch on TV, the only DVD on the shelves is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and they watch it twice, and the first episode that you see Rain watching before romancing Danny is the episode where Willow has her first lesbian kiss with Tara. Yeah, no, that's not subtle. Again, I felt that was definitely like, see, I'm like Buffy, which, you know what? I didn't watch that show. Maybe it is as great as people tell me. It is. Is it as good as this? Because if <laughs> this is what Buffy is, I don't ever want to watch that show. Agreed. Buffy is better at times than this and worse at times than this. Worse? Ooh. Sixth and seventh season, we're no picnic. Okay. Again, I never connect with any of these characters at all. Yeah, what about, let, let's just take another one. Can we talk about Sam Guthrie, the 16-year-old in 2020 that's working in a mine? Like, <laughs> I don't think so. I wouldn't have bought it in the 80s, and that's how the comic is. But no, that's not how reality works. I feel bad for both the boy characters. I do want to run down their backstories and their powers here, but man, are they underdeveloped. They don't even get the standard... I'm horny for this girl kind of thing. I mean, Roberto kind of gets that. Oh, no. Roberto kills someone with his horniness. Like, that is his backstory. He got horny and killed his girlfriend. But Sam, yeah, his dad forced him to go work in the mines. Maybe he falsified his age. I don't know. This mine did not look like the most union of operations. 
In 2020, this is not happening. Well, what about 2015 when they were planning this movie? <laughs> I don't <laughs> understand. But Sam, what we're going to find out is, like Danny, he killed his father because he was in the mine and he got claustrophobic and his powers fired off. And he just flies. Yeah, his powers are he flies really fast. And can't really control where he's going is what I got. And that's why he constantly has black eyes and broken arms, although he beats himself up too. He also has survivor's guilt. I think there could have been some great scenes between Sam and Danny about like, oh, you killed your dad too? Oh, why are you hitting yourself? Well, because I killed my dad. I mean, there's something there. Yeah. You do anything because they do nothing in this film. I We see a scene where he's like chained to some cinder blocks and he's flying around all crazy and they're flying. He's like punishing himself. I'm like, oh, okay. He's using his powers to self-harm and we're, we're going to explore. No, we don't explore anything in this, guys. What is also implied is that he's practicing. He's trying to control his flight. He's all over the place. And in the comics, he can't be hurt when he's flying. It creates... And invulnerability, so he wouldn't punish himself while flying. I, they drop a line like that. We do see a random scene where he's staring in the mirror, screams, and then just keeps slapping himself with a super-powered hand. So yeah. that's where I think the injuries came from. But I wish he was more fleshed out. I really wish both of these guys were more fleshed out, because I have nothing else to say about Sam. No, that's it. Same with Bobby. He he killed his girlfriend because he got horny and turned to fire. Their arcs are that they will learn that the powers they have that once killed are good when you're trying to kill smiling men. That's what their powers end up doing. And demon bears. Although they don't really, they're not very effective against <laughs> the bear. I mean, yeah, daddy just says, hey, go away, bear. And it does. <laughs> but Roberto... You mentioned, Jacob, he got horny. That's also Rogue's backstory. I mean, you laugh, but we didn't laugh in Brian Singer's X-Men 1, where Rogue kissed her boyfriend and almost killed him. Yeah, because Singer films it and tells the story in a way that, like, it feels tragic, that here's this human being that can never have human contact. They bring some pathos to that here. Again, they make me wait so long by the time stuff gets revealed. I just don't care anymore. See, and I'm hooked. I want these mysteries answered. I'm actually into the mysteries that they're dripping here, and so I never get bored. And are you satisfied with these answers? They all just killed someone they loved? Some, yes. Some, no. In the case of the boys, absolutely not in either case. The thing with Roberto is you've pointed out something, Jacob, that does have me now questioning how long have all these people been here? Because Rain seems to have been there forever, but when Roberto talks about... They put the lie detector on him, and he says he has to admit he's a virgin, and he goes, well, I, I get too hot. Well, I know this character's sunspot. We saw him in Days of Future Past. I know what his powers are. He's solar-powered and fire, but the way everybody else reacts to it is like they think he's premature ejaculating. That's what he means by getting <laughs> too hot, not that he caught a woman on fire. Arnie, you already wrote a great joke that this film desperately needs. Like, I wish there was this kind of banter going on amongst the teenagers. Like, Ileana would have thrown that out. Oh, you pretty much ejaculate? There's my awesome Russian accent. <laughs> like, there's none of that. And that is what's shocking to me is we're getting to a group of teenagers that don't get along. This got Breakfast Club all over it. And yet we don't have any moment where we have moments where they'll talk to each other. But I don't feel like they ever come to accept each other and learn anything. 
this movie's been hollowed out. Part of it is, for sure, the editor has just cut, 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 cut. I mean, there no scene lasts more than a minute. And again, these th- like no sooner have we begun something than it's over. Like they just throwing it away. Again, there's no moment in therapy where anyone has a breakthrough. Well, what's the point of the therapy then? Like, that's just shocking. Well, the therapy is conditioning them. It's not supposed to be real therapy. No, Arnie, I'm talking about as a storyteller. But Dr. Reyes isn't a real therapist, so as a storyteller, that's not a good place for it. Yeah, you know when it would have been a good place? When they drug her and they go and party on their own and they're doing the lie detector. Like, you still have to have that moment. Sure, maybe it doesn't happen with the adult, just like in Breakfast Club. It doesn't happen with the principal around. It's when they're together on their own. You need that moment. I felt like we got it when they were dancing. Because they danced? We never have a moment where she's conditioning them to kill either. I mean, again, they're just wasted scenes. They're these hollow, empty moments that serve no purpose. And there's just so much, for a 90-minute movie, there's still all of this fat all over it that you just have these dull scenes where nobody's really doing anything. They're meditating and Birdo is manspreading or whatever. Like, it just, there's nothing really going on. Each scene tells me more about the characters. Like, when they're doing the meditation, the fact that we see Danny's really trying Sam's kind of trying. Ileana's not giving a f*** and just sitting there. Roberto's like peeking to see if other people are doing it. I mean, this is telling me who these characters are. This would not fly in any teen movie that I've ever liked. I'll just put it that way. This is as thin as it could possibly be. And I don't know why anyone would connect with any of these kids. I connect with three of five. That meditation scene's about 12 seconds long. That would have been a funny little joke as part of a montage of teen antics in a John Hughes (laughs) film. So let's switch gears. Drama, working for Arnie, not for us. Horror? Yeah, let's talk about the three minutes of horror. So Danny is the conduit. Her power is that she takes these fears and manifests them so they're real. Although, could they really be killed by these things? We're told that. Well, we'll see that Rain has a second brand from her. So it, it is like Freddy, I guess. They can harm them. It's more than Freddy, and I didn't get it till I read the comics, which is a little bit of a problem. I mean, the brand made me think it was Freddy, but when I read the comics, she's not manifesting nightmares. These people aren't asleep. I said nightmares in my plot summary because I needed to not spend a thousand words on it. But from their deepest thoughts, their darkest fears are being manifested in a physical form there. That priest standing there was as harmful as he was when he actually beat Rain half to death. Right. You know, again, I had Elm Street on the brain, but truthfully, it feels like flatliners. It feels like that that guilt, those stupid specters of guilt that come out and not scary at all. Well, yeah. I kind of liked flatliners too, though. Oh, well then, shit. Okay, <laughs> game over. We're done. That's that's why you're going to like this movie and I'm not. I mean, I, I'd have to rewatch it, but I remember thinking it was okay. Yeah, it's a terrible film. And yeah, similar in that you have all of these specters of guilt that pop up around a hospital, like shit talking Kevin Bacon and just not being scary. Like none of these things are really, I'm sure they're scary for the person that was traumatized, but the filmmaker did not do a good job of making them seem scary to the audience. And that is true here. I'm not afraid of any of these things. I mean, Smiling Man is, I guess, the closest they have to a legit monster. And they realize they have that. And we only get one scene with Rain, Roberto, and Sam. 
Sam gets one flashback to the mine cave-in and seeing his dad with blood on his face. Not scary. Right. Okay, not scary. Roberto gets one scene that I do like, it psychs me out, where he's in the swimming pool with Ileana, and Ileana's making out with him, and he starts to get hot, and then she disappears... And it's his dead girlfriend she burned up. And then it took two watchings for this to really get driven home to me. Magic was never there. Magic was always in her room. I thought Magic teleported to her room and was like, I'm done with Roberto. I'm going to draw on the walls now. But no, Magic was never there. This was all the nightmare. And I liked that one when the flaming woman comes up and then sets off the smoke alarms and you come in and Roberto has lost all control and is on fire. Reyes has to push him in the pool. We need to get to all this way sooner. Again, I am looking for a hook in this film and for like 40 minutes, it's just, it's nothing. It's a bunch of bland people not really talking about anything. Show me some nightmares early on. If you're not going to give me that team drama, then then give me those scares and these are not the ones I'm looking for. These are not great and again, very short, like you've called out Stuart cutting very quickly not great they're terrible these effects come on you guys are the effects snobs this looks like Johnny Storm 15 years ago this is Chris <laughs> Evans shit they even do a trick where he burns off his clothes and hides himself naked behind some concrete like they're literally just doing that old Fantastic Four Tim Story bit with this character it's not scary at all it's not even kind of scary it's farce I thought the effects were fine in this movie and It is funny because I am an effects snob and nothing here pulled me out. I mean, flaming people have never been done great, but this is on par with Days of Future Past, Sunspot. Forget the X-Men. This is not a scary movie when I see imagery like this. Again, I wasn't thinking one thing about any of the other X-Men movies. I wanted a teen drama or I wanted a horror movie and they both suck. This is not a scary movie. No, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Give me that at least. If you are coming here because you want horror, go away. Leave. Yes. Don't give us that trailer. Okay, but I'm not going to blame the marketer for the movie. I'm not. I am. That is part of it. You are setting expectations. But you would have different expectations if you hadn't watched a trailer and we were watching this like we watched Last House on the Left and you hadn't seen a trailer and didn't know what to expect. So what is this movie? For you. This movie is a teen superhero film. Okay, there's teenagers that are superheroes, but, like, what else is there? There's a lot of movies like that. This is, to me, like Brian Singer's first X-Men film with teenagers, only not as good. Wait a minute. You did barely like that film. In fact, I remember you almost red arrowing X-Men, the original. Hey, I haven't said this is getting a green yet. I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you are taking the stance that we're being too cruel on something that is highly underwhelming. As anything that it's marketed itself to be. This happens to all of us. We find ourselves sometimes in the position of defending a film we don't love because the others are taking turns with cricket bats. <laughs> so I'm standing here going, it's not that bad. Whether I'm recommending it or not, we haven't gotten there yet. But I'm saying there are really bad parts and really undeveloped characters and not scary horror, but there's also good parts too. That's where I'm at. All right, help me out and let me find a scene that you think is a really good scene. Okay, I like the scene where Magic gets in the fight with Danny and pulls out the sword for the first time, and you wonder, is she really going to gut Danny? Possibly, because- I never wondered that. 
Well, you know, later on, we're going to find out Ileana's looks at her files. She is labeled the best candidate to become a murderer. So when Reyes comes in and generates that force field there and stops it, if Reyes hadn't been right there, was Ileana really seeing if Danny was just invulnerable? If Reyes hadn't been there, would Danny have been killed? I kind of think so. I like the tension. I never worried about any of these teenagers. I kind of thought if this was a horror movie, we'd have at least one death. I was shocked all five walk away. I mean, I understand these are characters from the comic. I probably would have killed Rain. I know she's the top build star, but she's the love interest of the main character. Danny is the main character, even if she's not top build. I think killing the main character's love interest, not to put women in refrigerators, but it would have been very emotional as compared to killing anybody else. It's cliche like everything else in this film. I would even be fine with cliche. I'm not here. I don't feel like I'm asking too much. I don't want it to tie to some comic book. I don't need it to be like any other X-Men movie. I wanted it to be the movie that I had been promised. Something different. But I just, I'm unmoved by any of these moments. These moments dramatically meant something to you. You felt excited. Yeah. I cannot say that there's a moment in here that dramatically felt true. Listen, I went to this twice. The first time I went, I didn't take any notes. I just let the movie overtake me the way anybody should the first time watching a movie. We're not always given that luxury, but I try to see movies twice for the reviews so that I can just watch it once. So I went not even knowing if Jacob would be able to see it, not knowing if we were reviewing this in 2020, watched the movie, walked out and went, okay, yeah, I didn't hate it. And then for the review, I went back and this was my, all right. Be sure here, because I know this is an unpopular movie. If you're going to say anything nice about it, be sure. And watching it the second time, the time flew past. I couldn't believe how fast this movie went by. I mean, yes, it's a short movie. It's only 90 minutes. But none of it lagged for me, is what I'm saying. You're saying that scenes dragged on in this 90 minutes. And for me, this thing was moving along. I liked the scenes, and so at no point... A couple points, but rarely did I feel it drag. The first half hour could be shorter. Maybe it's better in IMAX. It looks really murky on a drive-in screen. I could barely see what was going on. You can't judge the effects if you saw this on drive-in. I saw this in indoor theaters twice and both times thought, I never thought it looked bad in effects. I don't understand that because, again, you, more than any other host, really will not let a movie get away with subpar CGI. So maybe it was your screen. No, it's the CGI, Arnie. Like, this CGI is bad. I disagree full-heartedly. Whether or not I liked this movie, the CGI's fine. It's fine as it gets by just like everything else in this film does like nothing blows me away like yes i've seen that smiling man you know faceless thing in a bunch of generic straight to video horror films i felt like they were referencing buffy there is another episode of buffy we see it was an episode i thought it was nominated for an emmy because nobody talks the whole episode it was a completely silent episode and there were these tall gangly, identical demons called the Gentlemen, and we see the Gentlemen coming around Buffy. I thought that they were saying, hey, we realize we're kind of doing a Gentleman thing here with our non-talking, lanky demons. Again, I was going with Slender Man. And again, this movie is old enough that that was probably contemporary when they had written it and, and wanted to do it. That whole unfortunate story. Again, like, if there were anything about this that felt dramatically true, I would forgive a lot of this stuff. I would be 
wholehearted for anybody that was trying to make something different about the X-Men universe. But this, yeah, you're right. It does feel like a generic throwback to the first movie, only not exciting. Just dull and drab. Like the first movie, yeah. (laughs) Again, which had many problems and which, again, I don't remember you defending that well, but was better than this. To me, it all revolves around Danny. You know, Danny's the mystery because going in, I knew nothing about her other than she was an archer. I didn't know her powers. I'm like, this movie, tell me who Danny Moonstar is. And it's still being teased, still being teased. I didn't know she was going to create a bear. I mean, I knew the talk of the bear, but... How could you not when this movie starts with that and then she has this necklace and she does this whole monologue about, this is the size of my bear, like it's to scale. Like, it couldn't be more telegraphed. (laughs) It was just a reminder that at one point it was small and you don't have to be afraid of it, which is why at the end of this film she's going to go, hey bear, go away. She has like five flashbacks to being chased by the tornado that's growling like a bear and we see red eyes and it was pretty there for anyone that wanted to look that they were going to end on the bear all right and i'd seen the bear in the trailer i just didn't know she was creating the bear okay i didn't know if the bear came from limbo i didn't know where the bear in the trailer came from because i saw magic fighting the bear to me magic is the star but danny's the one who when things are going bad we see the computer scanner that says psionic ability so they're not even trying to tease They're not trying to drag out the fact that Danny is causing everyone's nightmares. You're told that from the first night when she's put in solitary that she is causing all this. But tension is ratcheted up for me when Dr. Reyes gets those anonymous computer messages that says, Subject presents extreme danger. Collect additional DNA samples. Terminate subject. Going to kill Danny. Why? Do you think this was coming from Xavier? What What is the tension? Because again, this is standard boilerplate stuff. Okay, they're going to try to kill her. Of course, they're going to fail. Like, there's no tension here for me. Yeah, I can't believe a hospital with bars on the window and they handcuff people and videotape them at night has really got a nefarious plan for her. Like, I can't believe it. That's just stunning. I know nothing about these characters. For all I know, her death could bring about something good. I did not know who was surviving this movie going in. And so when I see kill her, and then I see Dr. Reyes actually strap her down, put the gas on her, and give some ham-fisted monologue about how my mother was a vet and we had to put down my rabid dog. That's so stupid. What? Yeah, what, what, what is your reaction? She honestly, when she mentioned her mother was a vet, she mentions it twice. I'm like... Is this doctor actually a veterinarian? Is that who they found to take care of these kids? Probably. That's why there's a werewolf. (laughs) That's her 15th business. She's uh, (laughs) multitasking. Again, I'm with Jacob. Like, I don't want to be. Like, I don't want to be hating on this movie. I don't want to hate a film. I don't want to hate this film. I am not here to hate on this film, but I'm like, what is interesting here? You're talking about getting excited, ratcheting tension and what have you. What could anyone possibly care about that has happened in this 80 minutes building up to this climax? I can't imagine it. And it's not because I don't see myself in this film. It's literally this film gives me nothing to care about. Like, it's all on this film. And I like the characters of the way they're written. The women are the ones developed. I like the three women in this film. And I'm a little nervous that Danny's going to be killed. And I love the scene. My favorite scene in the movie is where Rain drops in from the vent and just claws the shit out of Reyes. I mean, this isn't a little fighting off. Reyes needs, like, facial surgery and is going to bleed out. My jaw was, like, on the floor. I was like, what the f***? 
Like I just didn't figure out the werewolf bit. It was there <laughs> where she was running around. Like I couldn't even believe. I couldn't. I can't even deal with it. I could. I was. I was like. I want out of this. I want to drive away right now, and I never want to look back. This dog needs to be put down. This is this is the one the veterinarian was talking about. That when that when she is the rabid dog falling out like that is some island of Doctor Moreau shit. Yeah, this is this is the bad CGI. Like if, if the other stuff, yeah, it's par for the course. But this, like when she's running around with that first suit, oof. It's not very much of it. The scene where she drops down is very fast cut. Yeah, that's the whole film. There's not very much of it. But I liked that scene a lot, and I like now that we're at the climax. You know, it, I couldn't believe we were here already. But as soon as they start clawing her. Reyes does what I don't know why she didn't do to begin with to kill Danny, using a force field and just making it smaller and smaller, makes Danny pass out, and then comes, all right, yeah, it's a little bit stupid, but a- The bear. <laughs> yeah. The bear. Hey, Yogi. <laughs> oh, I could not believe that. Yeah, oof. Yeah, it's Sailor Moon versus Yogi Bear. I mean, like, this movie. Seriously. Speaking of Sailor Moon, I love the fact that they put Ileana's hair in those top buns to reference the horn she would have as a demon. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it just makes her look more like Sailor Moon. And then Lockheed becomes Bubo the from Clash of the Titans <laughs> owl and flying. This is really like... I wish there was more of Lockheed. I actually, the first time I saw this, thought Lockheed died. And I'm like... When did the bear kill Lockheed? Because at one point, Ileana's like, Lockheed! There's just not enough money to do Lockheed the way it needs to be done. It's not that it looks bad, it's that it's barely there. Oh, where did all the money go? Yeah, I think there's plenty of money. I think you could find 30 music video directors that could have taken 70 million and given you something to look at. I mean, there are episodes of Game of Thrones that have dragons. I am guessing those episodes, I know they're only like an hour or whatever, but didn't cost 70 million. They're able to have a dragon in it. Correct. Yeah, but this had a lot of effects getting here. And I felt like Lockheed got the short shrift. I wanted more Lockheed. I did like every time Lockheed talked to Ileana, because like you, Jacob, I'm kind of thinking that's actually Lockheed talking, not Ileana using a funny voice. When Lockheed tells Reyes, I'll see you in hell. I mean, I'm laughing. Okay, help me, walk me to the door here. You're laughing because it's entertaining or it's so bad, or both? Because it's entertaining. And so bad? <laughs> no. <laughs> Stuart, let go of that. He's not, he doesn't think it's so bad. You do not think what you're watching is incredibly stupid? No, not once. Okay, I don't understand how anyone could look at this and think, I want this. It's not like this is the best movie I ever saw, but I'm finding enjoyment in what they're giving me. Okay. Mostly through performance and the actors who are given stuff to do, other than the accents, do it fairly well. I wonder if you're having some Buffy the Vampire Tracers, like, because you love that show at one point. I don't know how you feel about it now, but, like, that this is getting back to... Because, obviously, that was the template. That was what they're doing with the female characters here, particularly this Ileana one, who's... You're right. She I didn't put it together, but she does look a lot like Sarah Michelle Gellar and has the clothes. She had stakes, obviously. Obviously, right. They're a vampire, so she didn't have a sword, but she did impale. Yeah, she used swords at times, too. I mean, she fought all kinds of demons. I have to believe that they're trying to milk that for fans of that show. And maybe that worked for me, because I still, you know, I haven't revisited the series since it ended. But I have fond, fond memories of it. Here's the thing, like with X-Men, they all got their different powers. And at the end, they come together and, and like one does this power and then it lets the other one come in and do this thing. And they all they all work together here. We get Ileana 
with her lightsaber, like, fighting the bear, and then Cannonball, he does some flying thing, and Sunspot does some fiery thing. Like, it never feels like this group, again, if this is a bunch of teens that don't like each other, at the end, they gotta come together and like each other, and I have to buy it, not just because they fought a demon bear together, but I guess that's cool, that that's what unites them, is this awful fight with a demon bear. It reminds me of the strain of, like, the Tim Story Fantastic Four, where they had to find a way that everyone's gonna contribute to the problem at the end, and it's really awkward that there's like fire and stretching and invisibility and bubble like it just it doesn't really make any sense but yeah but here the, it doesn't even feel like a, and Arnie you've said it like the two male mutants they don't really want to do anything with them I feel like Rain she's trying to wake Danny up most of this I guess she wolfs out at one point to fight the bear but yeah it, it's just weird that I don't even know what this bear means I know it's fear and blah 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 but like it feels like this should be more significant and why is Ileana fighting it while Danny just sleeps. They should be fighting their own fears, which I guess they sort of were. Like, I mean, the Russian girl did slash a few smiling men. Birdo, I don't know, the charred girlfriend, did he? No, he didn't do anything. No, but he learned to embrace his power instead of being afraid of getting too hot. No, he didn't learn to embrace him. He's all fiery and Ray has walked in and just pushed him into the pool and he cooled down. No, but by the end, because of the bear, he starts by hiding. I mean, Rain hides because she's trying to protect Danny, but Roberto also hides, and it's a laugh moment, you know? Rain's like, what are you doing? He's like, same as you, I'm hiding. But then he realizes that even though he's afraid to use his powers, he's going to use it anyway and try to go out there and stop the bear. But the pisser is, I agree with you 100%, Jacob, nobody is doing shit but stalling. No matter how many slashes Ileana does with her sword, no matter how many pews Sunspot can pick up and smash on this bear, no matter how many times Cannonball rams him, nobody can stop this bear except Danny. And so the whole climax is really, somebody please wake up Danny. And it's only when Rain, her beloved is in danger that Danny in her dream space with her dead father hears Rain's call and is like, I need to wake up. I mean, it sucks that it isn't a stretched Fantastic Four ending. It sucks that the other four mutants don't matter here. Yeah, I wish it was Tim's story Fantastic Four. It's Nancy deciding I don't believe in you in the first Elm Street. It's like, I can just wish you away with my mind, which is unsatisfying, to say the least, unsatisfying. See, what I think happened is a Fox executive showed up and said, I don't believe in you, and made the money vanish with his mind. I mean, even outside of the reshoots to redo the film, there were still several days of pickup shots scheduled for this movie that they never did because they were going to do these other reshoots, and that could be where some of the problem lies in this climax, is they intended to shoot stuff like what the hell went on with Lockheed, and they just didn't have the footage because they never got those last three days to shoot the effects stuff. Yeah, I can't imagine why they would be happy with this. I mean, it just feels like this ending is very unfulfilling. Yes, Danny comes to control her power. She's not going to kill everybody on Earth without intent. But yeah, the bear smokes away. Roberto has no pants. And the next thing you know, they're just done. I mean, they're like outside in the wreckage. They're picking through it like they want souvenirs of their time imprisoned in this mental hospital. Yeah, they're like fighting their pictures that I guess they had with them this whole time. Or in the files where 
there somehow. It, it's weird if this is owned by a corporation. Like, don't wouldn't they be like be showing up? Like, oh, the person running it's dead. Like, maybe we need to show up and contain this. Like, <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> Nobody cares. Can't you just feel the apathy from ever exist wafting off the screen? Mister Sinister is even like, I don't need these mutants. <laughs> yeah. I don't need this. I don't need any of this. Ruling the world is not that important if I have to take these mutants under my wing. Well, they walk off to the next town and presumably two more sequels that Fox had greenlit. Yeah. But what we will never see, maybe it'll be included on the DVD, Blu-ray, direct download, whatever you want to buy. Initially, and apparently filmed, this goes back and forth depending on who you listen to, but according to Boone, they filmed... The stinger for this movie, John Hamm as Mr. Sinister is the one who's been sending her the messages, and that would be at the end credits. Sending who messages? Reyes. Okay. I guess because I know what Essex Corporation is, I, I assumed it, it was Mr. Sinister. But wouldn't you be excited to see an actor as good as John Hamm here? Not addressed as Mr. Sinister. I, I imagine it's just going to look like John Hamm. I would think so, and that he'd like mutate out into Sinister form later. And apparently Reyes was wearing a pin that matches the symbol on Mr. Sinister's head, too. So you were supposed to really get all these Mr. Sinister vibes. Which means nothing if you're someone like Stuart, if you're just, so, oh, well, let me go see this new X-Men film. Like, unless you're a comic book geek, like, none of this means anything. Post-credit stingers exist for comic book geeks only. Remember when somebody in my screening thought it was Hellboy at the end of Avengers? <laughs> yeah, none of this is going to address anything that I wanted from this film. Whatever they're put it, tacking on at the end and wherever they're going, I'm not interested. Well, then they were going to change it because they're removing the ties to Apocalypse. And why would Essex Corporation be around 40 years after Apocalypse? And in the reshoots... They were going to replace John Hamm with Antonio Banderas, and he was going to be Sunspot's father, Emmanuel DaCosta, member of the Hellfire Club, pulling the strings behind the scenes so that he would be the villain of the trilogy. Yeah, I know in the original graphic novel that introduced the New Mutants, it was the Hellfire Club that was checking these guys out. But again, that's the same ending, the same teaser. Okay. I kind of like the fact that if they'd done that, the first sequel was going to be filmed in Brazil. I mean, I would have liked to have seen Mutants in Brazil. I liked it when the Hulk went there. But this is the end of the X-Men franchise. It's the end of Fox superhero movies that Disney will put out. And the last time we'll see X-Men that don't have the Marvel Cinematic Universe banner. So I'll ask, for the final time in this series, Jacob Stewart, why don't you recommend the New Mutants? <laughs> Jacob. There's a YouTube personality. I really like to watch his stuff with uh, my girls. His name is Ryan George. He does the, He's probably most famous for doing these pitch meetings where he'll he'll pitch a film and it's a way to provide. Oh, love those. Yeah, the funny critiques of these movies. But there's always a line he has. One of his catchphrases in these pitch meetings. He'll you know as, as the writer he'll describe something really difficult task, the big climax of the film, something like that. And the studio exec is like, wow, that that's crazy. Must how does this person overcome that tribulation? And the, the joke is always super easy, barely an inconvenience, like, because that actually happens in a lot of films. Like you think of something big and scary, and then they overcome it kind of easily. 
the reason I tell this story is because I wrote that catchphrase down three times while watching this film. Like, you get Danny, she's going to commit suicide. Hey, things get better. Oh, okay. I won't do that. <laughs> and you get Sunspot, like, all on fire. Oh, no. It's scary. He's by the pool. Like, is he going to kill us all? No, we'll just push him in the pool. Cool him down. <laughs> Does he get laid? Does he have sex with anybody? Like, that would <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, there's a demon bear. Hey, hey, bear, just go away. And that kind of epitomizes this film for me. It's just like anything that would be in a, a challenge or a moment to build character, it just goes away and we get nothing. I think you said this is like a hollowed out carcass, Stuart, or, yes. or maybe I'm expanding on what you said. But yeah, I didn't use the word carcass, but hollowed out for sure. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels that way. Like I, I could see the spine. There, there's the plot line spine of like you have these characters and they don't get along. And like as you go down the vertebrae, they're supposed. But like, where's all the meat and all the guts and like all the stuff that makes it alive and, and living and worth watching. All of that is missing. It's a very strange, bizarre movie to, to not have drama and conflict, essentially. Like, it, I watched this thing for 40 minutes wondering what the hook is and realize, oh, there, it, there's just not that there's no bait. There's no hook. This is just a fishing line floating in the water. You ain't going to catch nothing like that. You didn't catch me, and I don't think it should catch anyone else. Like, not recommend for this film. Stuart. All movies are born with two bears. (laughs) And typically, the good bear is the artist that wants to push the genre in an exciting new direction, show audiences something they haven't seen, something original. And then the bad bear is the Hollywood executive who slashes the budget, demands reshoots, excises all creativity. I don't know what bear this movie up but all that i see is this murky monstrosity laying waste to everything that i loved about the x-men universe these new mutants are not ready for their close-up and seriously the fox executives didn't go far enough fire this director fire these actors hire alan smithy hire roger corman do it for 15 dollars and then maybe you have a semi-respectable cw pilot i mean maybe But this is not something that you go to the theater for. I mean, I seriously had to ask myself if this was the worst X-Men movie we've ever seen since, I mean, even Generation X. Is it worse than Generation X? Generation X had Matt Frewer. I laughed at Generation X and it knew it didn't belong in a theater. And this movie is staring me down in the face from the big screen going, yep, piece of shit. I don't know, man. It's bad. I think I do. I think I hate this more than any other X-Men movie that's ever been put out. Wolverine Origins? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely worse than that. I, I, again, and I'm just crushed. I didn't come here as a hater. I came here believing secretly they had a good movie and nobody understood it. That the creative team that I had seen do young people drama was going to surprise me and do something sweet and heartfelt. And if there ever was a scene that worked, it has been removed. From this film, there is not one moment that I feel is genuine and honest and moving. It is a pile of garbage. And, you know, yeah, the fault in our stars. I mean, again, I think the fault ultimately has to fall on Boone. I really do think that ultimately he's to blame because if none of it's good, okay, maybe Fox didn't let him do all that he originally planned, but if he... Got this is his vision, and nobody changed anything. You're saying this is the original cut of the movie, and that there is no reshooting or anything here, but not his original script. Yes, but there should be a good scene. 
there should be some moment of drama that works. And all I can say is don't see this movie. Do not feed the bears. It is the strongest of not recommends. Wow. All right. I need to clarify because, again, when I see the disadvantaged child being beaten up in the alleyway, I feel like I need to come in and say, don't beat up the kid. This kid went out and said, beat me up. Disadvantage? This kid had $70 million. Which is a third to a fifth to a tenth of what you should give a superhero movie. No, not every superhero movie needs to be Endgame. $70 million is plenty. Right, that's why I said a third. Deadpool didn't have this money. And I'll agree, this movie lacked imagination in so many ways. I mean, how many movies, not just A Nightmare on Elm Street, but you mentioned Flatliners, Stuart... There's a ton of movies where that thing you feared or that thing you faced is now coming back to haunt you. And I think they should have gone full horror with this. I wish Boone's original script hadn't been taken into that 10-person writer's room and neutered. And then they said, oh yeah, that script we didn't like before is now the movie we wanted all along. If executives had stayed the f*** out of the way, we'd probably be talking maybe strong recommend category. I'm not confident of that but i you know what i would have preferred to have seen something with more something be it horror or drama or or something something with flavor yeah i mean the only thing they had and you called it out rightly Stuart, because it is a slender man or the crooked man i mean we've seen these smiley things with no eyes and big teeth it feels like all the time but that they also felt a little bit like the really lame centibites from the direct-to-video hellraiser films but they were the best nightmare image this movie had as compared to a big glowing bear a fat slashed up priest and an ineffectual doctor nurse janitor orderly (laughs) i felt bad for her frankly she's the real victim here and there's six people in this film Six. I mean, not counting the footage stolen from Logan, (laughs) not counting the dead people who show up either at the very beginning on the reservation or in the one scene in the coal mine. There's six people. In 90 minutes, you really should be able to define six people. We reviewed The Breakfast Club. That had six people, five students and a teacher and a janitor. I got to know more about the janitor than I get to know about most of the people in this film. Carl is more fleshed out than Roberto or Sam or Reyes. The only way you can recommend this movie, Arnie, is if you found it like fun and exciting as an act, as you say, as a superhero movies, because the dramatically or, or as a horror movie, it no way, no way do they work that way. I'm on the fence because I did like Maisie Williams. I never thought her accent was bad. I'll side with Stuart on this. That I get that it's easy to call out people who do accents that aren't their own. I may not have an ear for the perfect Scottish lilt, but I thought her red hair, her Scottish accent worked well for that character. And they're kind of in a box because, as you mentioned, Jacob, Claremont loves his dialects. So she had to do Scottish brogues. Actually, she didn't. You could have just she did it as well as Halle Berry did South African. How about that? <laughs> much better than Halle Berry. And much better than Elizabeth Olsen did East European in Age of Ultron. And much better than Anna Taylor-Joy does Russian. I mean, I like Maisie and I like 
Danny Moonstar in this film, and I like the relationship. I thought it was touching. I thought it was sweet. Yes, maybe in an after-school movie slash CW Dawson's Creek kind of way, but I went with it. Was it groundbreaking? No. Did it make my heart melt? No. But was I rooting for those two to get together in this crazy hospital world? Yes. This was the first homosexual relationship we have seen, correct me if I'm wrong, in any of the Marvel superhero movies we've ever covered. I mean, we've covered like a hundred of them. Going back to Howard the Duck, I can't recall same-sex relationship. Yeah, but what does it mean? Like they kiss, okay. Like, that that's easy today. More than they kiss, Rain's love for her is what gave Danny the power to overcome her fear bear. <laughs> Again, like, is this the first you want to put forward? Like, okay, great. Identity politics. Great. Hopefully someone does it better real fast. Yeah, what's... what's but Come on, Eternal. <laughs> it is identity politics, but it didn't feel that way either. It didn't feel forced. And really, Anna Taylor is a joy in this film. I'm sure somebody's made that joke about her somewhere in her career. I'm not the first. But I really thought the screen lit up when magic was on it. I liked her flaming sword. I liked limbo. I liked her volatile, unpredictable temper. And I really liked the moment when like somebody's trying to stop her from fighting the bear. No, it's magic. And she gets those blue eyes and goes, so am I. It's the only superhero moment you got in this film and I'm clinging to it. Yeah, what's so bizarre for me is that, okay, the studio came in, sliced this thing all up. Josh Trank's Fantastic Four, like, he still had interesting scenes, and the same thing happened to him. Mm-hmm. Arnie, you're the same person that called that movie shit, and you're defending this. I'm stunned. Yeah, this is a, awful. Has much less going for it than that Trank oh, film. Oh, no, 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 no. This film... Here's the thing. They never fired Boone. This is Boone's film, and it feels like it. If somebody else had come in and done half the reshoots, and the film was as inconsistent as Fantastic Four, I'd have no problem taking a dump on this film's hard drive. Give me inconsistency for interesting scenes. Why didn't they fire him? They had faith in the movie, and it was testing well. It tested well. Wow. I just, I don't get it. I'll never get it. I thought I liked the X-Men, but if this is what people think that it should be, I'm done. What can I say? I had a good time watching it twice in theaters. It's a problematic movie. It's got some really cheesy lines. I wish Reyes was better developed. It's got no aftertaste. I mean, I'm not going to remember this as the last X-Men film. But compared to the last X-Men films we've gotten, Dark Phoenix and Apocalypse. You're now saying those are terrible films. Apocalypse, I've always said, is awful. And Dark Phoenix has always been right on the borderline, like New Mutants is. It's on the line, okay? But I had a good time watching it. I think if you like Marvel Comics and X-Men, you'll find stuff to like in this week recommend. Okay. Uh, or worse than Generation X. You, you choose. I can't watch Generation X again. I'm looking forward to seeing this on home video and what extra scenes were cut from the film. I imagine if they release a director's cut of this, which... Disney doesn't ever do for Marvel movies, but Fox used to. I don't know who's in charge of what anymore. But if we get a director's cut of this on video, it could be really good. But even though you guys didn't like it, if this movie hadn't come when Disney bought Fox, when COVID hit, all these things, Boone did have three films planned. When do we meet the good bear? 
<laughs> just to let you guys know what the second one would have been. The second film, Jacob, you mentioned that you didn't like X-Men because it's sci-fi. They go to space and all of that. Uh, they're going to go to space. The Brood? There was going to be an alien invasion film featuring Warlock, and they were talking to Sasha Baron Cohen to play Warlock. I'm sure that means something for somebody. I like Sasha Baron Cohen sometimes. The third film, again, remember, this was pitched before Apocalypse came out, was going to be an adaptation of a 1989 comic book crossover. I haven't read, maybe, Jacob, you have Inferno? No, that's all about magic, though. I know what it is. It's all about Limbo. That, that's when she, I think, originally becomes the demon. Oh, okay. And then they brought that back in the 2000s, too, with Inferno 2, I believe. Oh, it's Dark Phoenix with this chick. Okay, great. Yeah, it's all about magic. Okay, yeah, that's when she becomes Dark Child and got it. Yes. Well, it was going to be Inferno, and it was going to bring in all the X-Men. Like, you were going to get... McAvoy and Colossus, and it was going to be like a super crossover, the Avengers film for the mutant side. But none of that's going to happen now. Wow. See, I, I just not. All right. So here I am Friday night pulling out of this going, oh, my God, I've got to go take a shower, getting home and getting the news that Chadwick Boseman has died. And I just think, oh, my God, Marvel. Could this be a wor- has there been a worse day for Marvel than this very day? This is existential, really. Like if this is the state of the X-Men, if these are what the X-Men are and these last couple X-Men movies you've cited are what the young audiences associate with the X-Men, how is Marvel going to rebuild? Oh, there's nowhere to go but up. You just put them in costumes and have them appear alongside Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy and you're fine. Okay, you think it's that easy? I think losing Robert Downey Jr., Chadwick Boseman, and this the state of the X-Men, and the movies that they have coming, and and COVID screwing with release dates and filming, I'm, I don't know, maybe the party's over? Am I premature in, in declaring that over, like MCU? You sound like Twitter with the Marvelous Cancelled Party. I'm not canceling it. I'm just saying maybe it's, for me, like time to duck out. Like, it's just not any fun anymore. Stuart, I would agree, except, like, we've made these predictions before. Guardians of the Galaxy. Ain't no one gonna turn up for that thing. No one wants Star Wars in their Marvel. Like, nope, we were super wrong. Like, I, I've been wrong with Marvel so many times. Maybe they've sold their soul to the devil, and they're all gonna be magic, but I'll have to see. Because, yes, I would like to think that there's no way they could come back to this, but they've done it before. Uh, you're right. Never count out MCU, and they've proven themselves for much of their career as capable of being generators of heat and excitement. And they've got their work cut out for them, is all I can say, that I feel like the X-Men are in a very bad state. Or they're in the perfect state to just reboot the whole thing. Yeah, I do not see this as a bad moment for Marvel. New Mutants doesn't reflect on Marvel. Nobody is watching this and wondering when the New Mutants are going to get to meet the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, Jacob's talked about how the X-Men, they go to space, they go to hell. There's a lot of fantastical adventures that fit the MCU as compared to the more grounded stuff that we got under Brian Singer's rule. Marvel Studios has proven that they can take comic book outfits and make them look good on screen as compared to silly. So by the time you get some of these guys in their blue outfits and 
Wolverine probably in his brown and black outfit. Nobody's going to be thinking about Patrick Stewart. It's going to be too different. I don't know. The slate is not as exciting as it used to be. I will agree that of the films that have been announced so far, I'm less excited going into Black Widow than I was into Endgame. The only movie I'm really jonesing for is Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and Thor Love and Thunder. And those are the known properties. But once Marvel gets going, starts putting their end stingers in, gets me hyped, introduces some of the new properties they're now able to introduce, like Fantastic Four and X-Men, they've got a deep bench to fill the holes that have been left. Agreed. And it would be foolish for us to predict. Let's check back in a year from now when we've had a couple proper MCU movies and see... COVID, everything. How are people going to the movies and experiencing these things? And if anyone's going to do it, I mean, I, I think that's why it's important to me is like, if anyone's going to save the movie theaters, it is going to be Marvel. Like they're the ones that are going to get mass audiences to come back when they're allowed to come back. Well, we don't have to wait that much longer for Black Widow, assuming Jacob can go to a theater. We do have to wait on Tenant. That's punted until Los Angeles opens or until it hits streaming. Yeah, I, because of the state of affairs, we really did want to find something to build up to that was new, something that had been heavily requested, something that was different than movies we've covered so far. So I think we found it. I think that the perfect series to do right now is Tremors. I never thought we'd reach the day when we're like, you know what's perfect to do? Tremors. Yeah, our excuse was when a new one comes out in theaters, there's a new one coming, but it's not going to be in theaters. And that's not just because of COVID. Yeah, I, I again, I didn't know there were so many of them, but I have faint, vague, positive memories of that first movie from 1990. We're going to start there next week. Yep, it is a seven-part series, and we hope you'll join us. And last Friday, we did review Clerks, if you're one of our patrons. I know that has also been a highly recommended review for the number of years we've been doing now playing, so you can hear us finally talk Kevin Smith in a two-and-a-half-hour conversation. About a $27,000 90-minute film. <laughs> and this Friday, we're going to Wes Craven's Origins, his clerks, if you will. Last House on the Left, 1972. Yeah, a lot of similarities. <laughs> Dead people, rape. Well, <laughs> uh, they, they probably both cost the same amount, is my point. <laughs> I, I mean, there are dead people on rape in clerks. A, a corpse gets raped. No, oh, that's true. I was, okay, I forgot a detail. I was straining. I was straining with that one. I was like, hmm. Or did the corpse rape her? That's what Dante says. Yes. The silver level begins, so we're just getting started. That will be six films, many of them covering Wes Craven's early hits. Yeah, two Last House on the left, followed by four The Hills Have Eyes, and that's before we get to Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, and Cloverfield in this donation drive. It is kicking off this Friday. We'd greatly appreciate your support during our fall-winter donation drive. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And one more detail, we have a newsletter that comes out on a weekly basis. We're trying to get people signed up for it. Maybe you've done so. If that's the case, you may find yourself at the Bates Motel this Friday because we're giving away 60th anniversary digital downloads of Alfred Hitchcock's classic, Psycho. Yes, we're giving away five copies of it. It marks the release of the Alfred Hitchcock Classics Collection, which is on 4K disc Ooh. from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. Nice. For the very first time, 
you'll be able to see the uncut version of Psycho. It's the one where she lives, right? But it also, the collection, not the digital download, the collection also has Rear Window, Vertigo, and The Birds. Okay, yeah, those are some big ones. So if you get the 4K pack, you also get the digital downloads, but if you sign up for our newsletter in the next couple of weeks, you will be entered to get a digital download of Psycho. You have until September 18th to sign up for our newsletter, and the winner will be announced on September 21st. To sign up for our newsletter, head to our website. At the top is a link that says subscribe. The first block of information there is going to be about how to subscribe to our podcast. Hopefully you already are. If you aren't subscribed, there's the instructions. And right beneath that is how to subscribe to the In Focus newsletter. It's a great way to connect more with the people behind the show. And good luck, and we hope you win one of the copies of Psycho. It's a good time to watch Psycho, a good time to head to Podbean and listen to our old Psycho retrospective series. That was a fun one, I remember. It, well, again, you think that like nobody should touch Psycho, those sequels are a bad idea. You might be surprised, the whole journey, I'm not going to say they're all recommendable, in fact I'm going to say they're not, but I did really watch it mutate uh, as other people took on the series. It's a fun one. So thank you for joining us, thank you for subscribing to our newsletter and supporting our show, and Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me, and probably for the very last time, we'll talk to you next week, bub. Today's attack was only our first salvo. Our war will rage. Your cities will not be safe. Your streets will not be safe. You will not be safe. And to my fellow mutants, I make you this offer. Join us or stay out of our way. Thank you for listening to the now-playing X-Men Movie Retrospective Series, part of our Marvel Comics movie series. Told you if you came down this road, you would like what you found. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another movie review. The professor trusted you were smart enough to discover this on your own. He gives you more credit than I do. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as the Avengers films, Spider-Man movies, and many more, as well as reviews of other series, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, and Tron. We also have individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Inception, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Show's over. Show's never over for us. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Oh no, finish your tweet. There you go, hashtag it. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Do I look like a man who exaggerates? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Don't you have any decency? Where's your sense of gratitude? Do you think I have needs? Do you think I'm just here to be your dream grid guru? I want out of here! I want to hit the big time! If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. 
I'd say that you sound like an infomercial, but not a good one, like Slap Chop, more Shake Weighty. Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. They say you're the bad guy. Is that what they say? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Apparently we have some issues with authorities. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Oh, you get the point! Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2020, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Class dismissed. Lose the feed? Are we still alive? For Boone to do the Mew Newtons to Mew, Mew Newtons. <laughs> <laughs> Maisie Williams plays Scottish Rain Sinclair, known as Wolvesbane in the comics. She's a werewolf. Does that make Blade a mutant because he's a vampire? <laughs> no, not because Man Wolf isn't a mutant. He had a moon rock, and Dracula's not a mutant, and Morbius isn't a mutant. But yet, like, there's a Sasquatch that is a mutant. Yeah. It gets very confusing in the MCU. Yeah. It does. I'll agree. Listen, if if it was the 80s and they had a power, mutants were hot. You're a mutant. And then in the aughts, when Fox owned mutants, you're now an inhuman because we don't <laughs> yes. own mutants anymore. It's whatever. Mar- I mean, the mutants existed. You told me, Jacob, because Marvel got bored of making up origin stories and like, eh, you're yes, a mutant. But a werewolf, it's you're getting a little lazy now. Like, is that what you're like? No. It's taking me back to Generation X. <laughs> like, this is the kind of things like Mondo, like bad. This is like, whole oh, shit. <laughs> I give you credit. I couldn't name a member of Generation X. I guess there was skin. I know, I can't believe you pulled that out, Stuart. <laughs> I, I think I remember Skin, because that's a regular name of Mondo. Oh, but <laughs> now you got me thinking, who was the one that was, like, perfect in every way? <laughs> don't remember. <laughs> I don't, don't make me think about it. But this movie makes me think about it.